The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, I want to welcome everyone in the name of Jesus. And first things first, many of you have been asking, Ben, what happened to the beard? Here's what happened. Kim, my wife, won and the beard lost. I know how the world works, and I'm lining up in good order. And all the men said, Amen. There you go. Thank you very much. All the married men said, Take note. Um, if only today my preaching was as powerful as Celeste's announcement, that it could literally blow walls down. But even that being funny, uh, the wind of God, the Spirit of God is moving in this church. Not just to knock down the, uh, the drum, what do you call that thing? The drum thing. But last night, as you saw in the announcement that Michael made, Chop Jr. was a huge success. My family was here. And the kind of fellowship and the kind of building up, the kind of fun and formation that our children had last night. And Dean tells me as a judge, he ate pretty well last night. And what we're doing through faith and finance, what, how God is moving in our benevolence ministry. And it's missions month. If there's anything that is marked the identity of this church, it has been that they have discovered the mission of God and have a full desire to participate in God's mission in the world. And in fact, not only this mission month as we prepare for Mission Sunday, we want you to know that there's lots of mission stuff going on here at the Springs. The Springs is, I think, more fully and continues to more fully participate in God's mission in the world. And we wanted to let you know just a small piece of that. John Osborne and I uh, will be leaving. Well, he's leaving before I am, but next Sunday we'll be leaving and spending a week in Germany, just outside of Frankfurt. And John and I have been invited by one of our missionaries, uh, Paul Brazel in Belgium. Every year he puts on what's called the Advanced Bible Study Series, and it's for Christians and church leaders all over Europe. So we expect there to be 40 to 60 Christians and church leaders from around Europe. And John and I are going to get the chance to fellowship with them. We're going to get the chance to teach. And we really think this, we really believe this, that John and I um, get to go as the body of Christ at the Springs. And so you will be there. The body of Christ will be there with brothers and sisters in Europe. And so as the Spirit moves, join in and participate. For it's God's mission. And once you understand what God's doing in the world, my question to you is how could you not want to get in on it? If you truly understood what God is doing in the world, how could you not want to get in? Our text today is from Ephesians chapter 2. 
beginning in verse 11. The word of the Lord. What God's doing in the world. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants and promises without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. And his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundations of the apostles and the, and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and, ri and, and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. The Word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we give You thanks for Your Word. And today, this is what we ask. We ask for ears to hear. And God, we pray for hearts to follow. And God, I pray for the gift of preaching today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I love a good mystery. When I was a kid, I loved watching Scooby-Doo. Did you guys watch Scooby-Doo? I, th I still think it's on. When that song came on, Scooby-Dooby-Doo, where are you? We could, Okay, we won't sing the song. There you go, come on. See, even, even our youth knows it. Because it's still on. I love a good mystery. I loved when Scooby-Doo, I love trying to figure out the mystery in each episode, right? And when it gets to the end and they pull off the mask and it's, oh, it's Mr. Willis, the innkeeper, right? And he always ends with those blasted kids. Or I love a good movie like The Sixth Sense which hopefully this won't be, this is maybe a spoiler alert if you haven't seen it yet. But I love the way the sixth sense that by the end of the movie, 
Something is revealed, a mystery is revealed, and you're like, whoa, I've been looking at that the whole time, and I didn't know it. It's like this picture. Someone showed me this one time. If we could put it up on the screen. The shadow. What would you say this is? What does it look like? A book? What else would it look like? Cell phone? Yeah, it could be several things. But that shadow, if you look at it from a particular view, it looks like this. But the thing, if you turn it and look at it from a different direction, it actually looks like this. Anybody know what it is? It's a pie pan. And if you look at it from this it looks like something. It looks like a book, the shadow. But if you turn it, you get to see the full thing. You would never guess by looking at this that you're looking at a pie pan. But it depends on how you turn the thing and look at it. You could see something different. And last week, Brett did a really great job with the first part of Ephesians 2. Let's recap. In Ephesians 2, verse 1, it says, You were dead in your sins, in your trespasses, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature's deserving wrath. <coughs> this is our deep, dark condition. It has this great turn. He says, but. But because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift. Not by works. But none of us can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he, God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, usually this text we stop because this is such a powerful text. I mean, we read this text and we're like, amen, the grace of God, I've been saved. What a wonderfully, a, a wretch like me that I've been saved. I've been saved out of darkness. And we don't continue reading. Maybe it's because the way our Bibles are structured with the, the headings. But if you notice in verse 11, the next word is therefore. 
And I had a teacher, if I can spit it out and get it right, teacher that taught Greek, he says, when you see that word, therefore, you always have to look and see why it is there for. In other words, we read chapters one, chapter two, one through ten, and we stop. And it's a shame that we stop because when we stop, chapters one, verse one through ten is not even the main point. It is just a preparation. It is just to get to what the therefore is therefore. In other words, if we read chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, we're looking at it like this. This is what we see. Right? I'm pointing it so you guys, this is what you see. But when the therefore happens, what Paul does is he turns it and he says, now here's the complete picture. If we look at verse 1 through 10 and we say, yes, that's what salvation looks like. You're looking at salvation like this. Paul says, therefore, and he turns it. He says, now let me show you the complete picture. And so Paul says, therefore, Remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised. Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ. Remember that one time you were excluded from citizenship with God's people. Remember. You too were foreigners. You too were strangers. You too were aliens. You're foreigners and strangers and aliens to the promises of God. Remember that you were once without hope. Remember that you were once living with God, without God in the world. Remember. And he has that phrase again. But. But now in Christ Jesus. Even though you once were a foreigner, a stranger, you are way far in a faraway land. With no hope. Without God. But now in Jesus Christ. You who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Remember. So, he takes the pan, and he goes from this, and he begins to turn it. And he says, now here's what salvation looks like. He says, for he himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. And here's his purpose. God's purpose 
is to create one new humanity out of the two. Thus, making peace. God's purpose in the world is to create one new humanity. To take two very different kinds of people and to make them one. Dean was right. In many ways, we could look around and go, yeah, we all are kind of the same. But Dean knows he's an elder. It's very different people in this room. And by the way, there's very different people who are your neighbors and who you work with. And if you start going much further than that around the world, you start realizing, hmm, these people are very different from me. And here's God's purpose. He wants to take very different people and make one new humanity. In fact, so much so, the early church believed in this. They believed in what God was doing and lived into it, that by, by the third century, about 240 or the year 250, this phrase began coming up that Christians used to refer to themselves. They referred to themselves as the third race. And not only did they begin to refer to themselves as that, much later on it picked up and those who weren't Christians looked and referred to Christians as the third race. Because in a biblical worldview, you have Gentiles and you have Jews. That's how the world is divided up. And Paul says what God is doing is taking Jew and Gentile and putting them together. And the church, the church radically experiences this. in a world that is very diverse. And they begin to talk about themselves as the third race. They're not Jews. They don't identify as Gentiles. God has done something totally new. It is an entirely new race of people. And he's not talking about skin color, and he's not talking about cultural background. He's, this is the work of God creating a third race in the world. A new humanity. And the way they thought about, they thought themselves as an entity together. They didn't think of themselves as individuals, right? In other words, here's how we think about church. And it's not just us. This is how Western culture thinks about church, right? Even if you don't think about it, this is how it works. Is that basically what we do in America is a voluntary association of like-minded people. Did you guys hear that? It's a voluntary association of like-minded people. So there's nothing that compels you. You volunteer to come to church and you go to the place that's most like you. It's a voluntary association of like-minded people. In other words, it comes out of this very deep sense in Western culture of this individualism that we have. Right? So, for example, Rene Descartes. This, this great phrase that you know, you may not know what it means, but Descartes said it one time, I think, therefore I am. Therefore, my identity comes from me. If I think, I am. So Christian believers in this voluntary association of like-minded people, they would say, I believe, therefore I am a Christian. I think the early church and what Paul's saying here, in Ephesians, 
is that you don't begin with, I believe, therefore I am. You begin here. God has made them. And I am a part of them, therefore I am. Do you hear the difference? I believe, therefore I am a Christian. No, no, no. I'm a part of you, therefore I am a Christian. A new humanity. And this is why I could say it, because I want you to notice the moves here. Notice how the text moves, right? He says his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Do you hear how salvation moves? Here's how we think of salvation. And including myself. Is that salvation is between me and God. And when I get saved, I'm reconciled to God. And praise be to God, His grace, His glorious grace. I'm saved, I'm saved. And then maybe we get around to you other people. It is funny. Maybe I get around to reconciling with you other jokers in the room. Who I may or may not like, by the way. Now, all of you I like. I'm talking about theoretically other people. Get myself in trouble here. But that's how we think. I get reconciled to God and then maybe I find a group of people who I can just hang out with. Voluntary association of like-minded people. But in the text, here's how it moves. He says, first, in Jesus Christ, he brings different people together and he reconciles them. He creates one new body. One new humanity out of the two. And then once he has created one new humanity, then he reconciles that new, new humanity to God. Do you see the difference? The way we think is that you get reconciled, that I get reconciled to God first. And then maybe I have some connection to you people. But his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. And then after reconciling them together in one body, he then takes that one body and reconciles it to God. He reconciles you first. And then in one body, he reconciles it. We see the salvation like this. Paul's turning and he says, no, this is what it looks like. I ask my students often, I say, you know that old phrase, Jesus, yes, church, no. Maybe you've heard that phrase. There's a generation for a while that Jesus, yes, Church, no, not interested. And I asked my students, why church? Why go to church? Raise their hand. Well, I mean, we need, we need encouragement. And I say, well, what happens when they're not encouraging anymore? I've been to church. Sometimes church is not encouraging, right? If we're honest with ourselves, sometimes it's just not. They raise their hand. Yeah, but we need good teaching. 
I could go online and watch a sermon that's probably better than Ben Langford's. Brad and I are under no illusion that there aren't better sermons out there to be listened to. Or I could go just read a book. I like books. I could learn a lot. And the students have this funny look on their face like they've run out of answers. Why church? And in the third century, there was a one of the church fathers named Cyprian from Carthage. He's a North African. He said this, and sometimes you still hear this phrase. He said, there is no salvation outside the church. And I used to hear that phrase and I used to think, ooh. I don't know, that just didn't sit with me very well. There's no salvation outside the church. It sounds like too exclusive, too harsh. too. And part of what that came to mean was this. Is that you have to go to church in order to be saved. In other words, part of what that was was to use people to manipulate people to say, hey, you want to you be, you be saved, you've got to come to church. Right. Which probably had some some uh, uh, motivations for church growth. And how do we get people here? You want to be saved. You better be in church. Or probably a more popular way that it came to be about is to say that it's through the institution of the church. You have to go through the institution to be saved. You have to go through the priest. You have to go through the sacraments. You have to. There's no salvation except through the church. And one of the things that that created, not just in the Catholic church or not just in the historical church, but even in the church today, is that not only is the church a voluntary association of like-minded people, the church is now a vendor of religious goods and services. Are you hearing that language? The church in North America in particular is a vendor of religious goods and services. Will you come, right? as a customer in order to receive something good teaching encouragement a good experience salvation here's what i think cyprian means and what the church has meant or should have meant by this phrase there is no salvation outside the church i've come to fully embrace that saying because of this this is what i think it means is that the church is what salvation looks like. Because salvation is first being reconciled together. Then after being reconciled together in one new humanity, God reconciles all of us to himself. There is no salvation outside the church. In other words, when someone comes to be baptized, right? And we like, yes, someone was saved when they were baptized. I don't think that's just the reality. I think when the church witnesses a baptism, when we have a baptism, it's not we just say, amen, he was saved. I think the church says amen because they say, we're all saved again. Anytime someone is baptized, each one of us says, yes, hallelujah, we're saved again. 
And this is why Paul can say this, because remember the very beginning of the sermon series. The whole thesis, the whole point of this letter in, in Ephesians chapter 1. It says in verse 9, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. And here is God's purpose. His grand overarching purpose. To bring unity to all things. To all things in heaven and earth in Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to me. Put down your cell phones. Listen. Here's what this means. This means I'm not saved without you. Are you hearing that? I want you to, this is going to be awkward, I know, but I want you to start looking around the room. Take a look at your neighbor. Take a look at people around. The people you are looking at, you are not saved without them. And what I don't mean is that, oh man, well, I'm not reconciled to certain people and I've got issues with people and no, 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 no. Listen, this is not about what you do. Your salvation is not dependent on your ability to reconcile with someone. Remember, we just read, right? It is by grace you've been saved. It's a gift. It's a gift. This is what God has done. So you can't boast. It's not as if we can practice better reconciliation techniques or conflict management, although I think we should do that. We should do that. But when we do that and we're successful, that is not what saves us. It is God through Jesus Christ who has reconciled all of us together. And here is your call. Live into the reality that God has already established. That is what we are called to do. To live into the reconciled reality that God has already established. I'm not safe without you. Because God's purpose is to take very different people and to reconcile them and to make them one body, one new humanity. And then after he does that, then that's when we get reconciled to God. We're not, we're not saved without each other. This is what God is doing. And once you fully understand it, how could you not want to get out of it? How could you not want to get out of it? Let's pray together. Father, praise and honor and glory be to you. For in Jesus Christ, your purposes are known. In Jesus Christ, you have saved us. In Jesus Christ, you are saving the world.
And God, we are the ones who are just beginning to recognize what you're doing. We are the ones who are just experiencing your salvation. That Jew and Gentile, friend and enemy, people that are like us and people that are very different than us, that your purpose is to reconcile all things and to make one new humanity so that you can reconcile that new humanity to yourself. What a great mystery. Your salvation is a great mystery. We confess we do not understand how this works, but we trust trust the power of your spirit that you will bring about your will that you will bring about your salvation that you will unite all things in heaven and earth praise and honor and glory be to you in the name of Jesus we pray amen if you want to experience this mystery called salvation if you want to begin to see the world not from this angle but from fullness of what God has for you. We invite you now to come as we stand and sing.